Amen. Wasn't that sweet worship this morning? Just beautiful. Well, I appreciate all the words of encouragement this morning. This is what I've heard. They said, uh, if you are shorter than that guy that normally does it and not as long-winded, we're going to like you pretty good. So if you beat the Methodists out, it'll be okay. All right. So I, I said, well, I'm going to do the best that I possibly can. If you have your Bibles, if you would uh, open to Matthew chapter 26. This morning, I would like to speak on the abandonment of Jesus. I know it's kind of going backwards and we just got done with Easter, but the Lord laid a message on my heart and I just feel that we got to do what the Lord tells us to do. Amen. So I, I know that some of you may not be as familiar with me, uh, new, new staff here at, at Retta, and I'm so uh, honored to be here. I see some new faces and there's some people that, that haven't heard my story. And you know, when you tell an illustration and it's about you, I feel like you're probably the most vulnerable. And so if you would uh, pray for me this morning as I am up here. I know that you think that uh, a lot of times you see these ministers, you know, you see staff members and you think they got it all together. I'm going to tell you a secret that can't be farther from the truth. Uh, I'm going to tell you a, a, a story. It's a true story about a time in my life where I felt the most abandoned I have ever felt in my entire life. And then I'm going to try to connect that to what I, I think, you know, of course, Jesus felt the same thing, but at a much intense and higher capacity than, than what I felt at that time. My testimony is very simple. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior when I was in the second grade. I had a teacher at a Christian school, Life Christian Academy, in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and when we would come in from recess, of course, we were exhausted, we, we, we played hard, she would uh, do a Bible study, and uh, she would present the plan of salvation every single day. And so I got convicted, and I uh, skipped recess one day, I went into her classroom, they had those little table and chairs, you know what I'm talking about, just for, for second graders, and I, I explained to her that I was lost, that I was a sinner, I needed a savior, and she bowed her head there, and we prayed, and I prayed to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and my life obviously has never been the same since then. That's a, it's a simple story, it's, you know, you think, wow, it's great, and yes, I did come to know Jesus at early age, but, you know, as you get older and as you, you move along, your faith really begins to be tested. Then you really feel that, okay, Lord, what are you trying to show me? Well, we're about to come to a time of graduation where seniors are going to be walking across the, the stage. They're going to begin a new chapter in my life. And so I kind of want to tell you about in 1998 when I was a senior and sort of what happened to me. You know, that's a, that's a pretty important time. I feel like, you know, you're about to go to college, you're about to start this new chapter. There's a lot of uh, uncertainty, um, and there was, there was some issues between my father and my mother, and they had begun to argue and, and get in fights, and there were things that were going on. And so, over the summer uh, of my senior year, things began to get progressively worse, and then I started in a, a JUCO, uh, from my first year in college, and I came home one day, and I, I put the key into the door, 
And, of course, this is the same house that I had lived in. I've only lived in one home there in Oklahoma my entire life since 1980. And the key did not work. And I said, there's got to be a mistake. And so I keep trying it. I keep trying it. And it, it wouldn't open the door. And all of a sudden, there was a police officer that drove down that country road, drove down our driveway. We had a, a country home, two and a half acres out there. And he knew that I guess I was going to be home at that time. And he said, son, I got some, I got some difficult things to tell you. He said, um, you have about 30 minutes. We're going to let you in and you have to get everything out of your home. And you got to go. I said, oh, okay. So that's what I did. I, I went and I packed a few shirts and shorts, a pair of jeans, just whatever I could take with me at that time and left. And I was fortunate enough to have a grandmother that lived on the, on the same street. And so went to her house and said, I don't know fully the extent of, of what's going on, but I know that it's bad. Well, my dad and I uh, ended up living with my grandmother for a year and a half. My sister was also displaced out of the home, went to live with my aunt. And that was just a spiral that just began to go down in my life. And I just, I felt abandoned. Um, mother, for whatever reason, had decided that she didn't want to be a mother anymore. Um, said that she didn't love us, said that she regretted all that time. We had grown up in church. We were in the Southern Baptist Church every single Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. We never missed. And I thought, what, 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 why this change? What happened? And I began to question everything that was going on around me. As we entered about a year and a half battle of this divorce that was going to take place, worse things just began to, to spiral down and happen. I'll never forget that my sister, uh, my my sister and I, we were obviously going to live with my, my father. We had, you know, we knew that um, this was not what he wanted. He tried to put the marriage back together. He tried to make everything okay. And so we, we tried to love and support him as best that we could. But uh, my mother had my sister tested. They said, oh, she must be brainwashed, you know, by the father. And, you know, these kids, they obviously couldn't choose their, their dad. And there began to be this big custody battle and Again, it just worse and worse and worse. Uh, at that time, my, my grandmother's health began to deteriorate, and I was just I was reaching out to any anybody that I could find that would that would listen and care. And I went over to my best friend's house. Now we had grown up together. We were in Cub Scouts together. We were in Boy Scouts together. We were best friends. And I showed up at the door, and his father answered the door, and he said you're no longer welcome in this house. Apparently, maybe some things were said by my mother to them, and I was just devastated. I said, what, what do I have to do with, with my parents' divorce? It's not my fault. It's not the kid's fault. Why am I caught up in all of this? Well, secretly, we were still friends, and, and we met from time to time, but it was just tragic because I was no longer welcome in those houses. My mother's family... You think about entire half of your family told me that they wanted nothing to do with me. They're not going to call. They're not going to reach out. Abandoned by family. Abandoned by friends and loved ones. 
abandoned by a judicial system that displaced us from a home and nothing seemed to be fair, nothing seemed to be right. And then to, to make matters worse, uh, my grandmother was uh, under just tremendous amounts of stress and she began to have strokes. Now, I, I bought her one of those uh, things you wear around your neck. You press the button and it dials 911 and it dials all the family's numbers. You've seen those, right? I bought her one of those and, uh, you know, I felt much better because I thought if she gets in trouble, but I know this is going to shock you. She, was, uh, she grew up in the, in the Depression, was kind of hard-headed, very much her own woman, and she refused to wear that thing, even though I bought it for her. Well, uh, we finally, after a year and a half, got back into the home, and it was a Sunday morning, and we always took her to church with us, and I opened the door to her home, walked inside, and I saw her lying in a pool of her own vomit. She had been stroking out, dying, unable to get to the phone, didn't have her necklace around her to press the button, and by the time we got her to the hospital, within just a few hours, she passed. Now, I felt like, Lord, why me? What is going on? Abandoned over and over and over again. The church that my father had attended at that time was a Southern Baptist church, one of the largest in the United States. 5,000 members on the roll. But I'm going to tell you this, only 3,500 showed up. And then that, that church, there was... I know it's going to be shocking for you to hear, but there was some politics going on in the church. I know, it's, you couldn't imagine politics in a church, right? Well, the Sunday school teacher uh, that was the Sunday school teacher of my mother, and they, my mother and father were attending different classes, and then the pastor, the pastor had a son, and the Sunday school teacher had a daughter, and they were about to get married, and I was really hoping that my church, they would send somebody out, that they would try to counsel my, my father and my mother, that they would, you know, uh, reach out to us in this time of need, try to mend this marriage and, and make it right again. And that, that didn't happen. They were concerned about this marriage. They were two very prominent people, very important people. And I'm just going to be honest with you, maybe not a huge fan of the mega church because of that. It was so big. We were just little tiny ants in a massive, massive world. That pastor later became the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and then when he retired from the Southern Baptist Convention, became head of all missions. But I always felt like we were insignificant, and maybe my family wasn't worth saving. Abandoned. Abandoned by my church, abandoned by family members, Abandoned by people I was closest to. Well, you think, man, how depressing. Well, I want to tell you, stay with me. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to bring this story full, full circle. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 26, if you would, I want to read, starting with verse 47, 47 through 56. And this is what it says. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him and Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, and he drew his sword, and he struck the servant 
of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, You have come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Now here's the verse I want you to look at right here. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Abandonment of Jesus. After all the miracles, after all the things that they had seen Jesus do, after it all happened, they abandoned him. They left and they fled. So if you have your notes there in your bulletin, the first one I would like to to look at is he was abandoned by Judas. One of his inner circle, the one who carries the money bag. You know, he was the one that was upset when the lady came and put the perfume on the feet of Jesus and said, well, this should be sold, it should be given to the poor. I, I, I can't imagine, and betrayed of all things by, the, by one of his, his inner circle. I mean, that, we don't, do you notice today, we, we name a lot of people after the Bible. There are not a ton of Judases out there. That's just not a name. You know, you're like, what are you going to name your son? I'm going to name him Judas. No. No, right? Not the, the man uh, of perdition that, that they called him. Better this man not even be born. Well, I was thinking, uh, you know, I teach English uh, at the high school level, and I was thinking of the story of Julius Caesar. Of course, you know, uh, his death and stabbed all those times on the Senate floor. And then one of the most famous lines from that Shakespeare play is, E tu, Brute, and you too, Brutus, the unkindest cut of all. Betrayed him with a kiss, something of uh, affections, uh, love that you're supposed to reach out. And yet, that was the sign to go ahead and arrest him, take him now. Betrayed for 39 pieces of silver. And of course, when he, when he got that silver... What did he do with it? He began to be under extreme conviction. He threw it away. They end up having to pick it up. They couldn't do anything with the money. They had a real problem. And so they gathered together and they bought a field. They Still today, they say they call it the field of blood because it, nothing could be used with it. One of the things that I left out in, in my story is that that end of the first semester in college, I went to the bursar's office. We were going to pay for, for that semester. And I had been given some money by my grandmother. Again, thank you, grandparents, for everything that you do. Thank you for loving your children and your grandchildren. And thank you for being a strong generation because I wouldn't be here without you. So I wrote the check. I handed it to them. And then they told me it's bounced, it's no good. Well, it's got to be wrong. Check it again. You know, when you're a kid, of course, you always put your parents on your account. 
you know that, in case something happens, you know, your parents can come and help you out. Well, every single penny of that account had been totally cleaned out. Abandoned, yet again. I mean, if I, I wanted to just tear my shirt, put ashes on my head, and, and just call it a day. I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? Well, I was going to a different church at the time. I attended a church at that time, left the, the mega church, a little old country church called Grace Place Baptist Church out in the outskirts of Oklahoma City. And there was a, a lady that was there, and she had heard that I was in some trouble, and she was a, a dental assistant. And she goes, why don't, I heard that you need a job. You need some money. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. She goes, you show up tomorrow, I got a job for you. I said, okay, but I don't know anything about dental assisting. And she goes, don't worry about it, I'll teach you. I, I thought, do I, I need a degree for this or something? So I show up the very first day, the very first patient that we have, extraction. I hope you haven't eaten a large breakfast. So she tells me that, hey, listen, we're going to have to cut some of the gum. We're going to have to sew them up. You're going to suction. She goes, put on your glasses, put on your mask, put on your gloves. Away we go. We're going to do surgery. I mean, I thought maybe I might answer a few phone calls or emails or something, you know. Uh, and she goes, no, this is, this is go time. Well, over the next three years, every single day, I began to work with her uh, got different certifications and moved up. And you want to know, so this is a God thing. At the end of each semester, when the bill came due, I was trying to put as much away as I could. And do you want to know something? I had just enough in the account to cover it every single time. When I graduated at the end of four years with my bachelor's, I didn't owe one dime. That's a God thing. That's a total God thing miracle. Well, number two, he was abandoned by Peter. Now, uh, Peter, I see him, we know about Peter, he was bold, you know, he made some bold proclamations. Of course, we're all familiar with the story about the storm and getting out of the boat, right? And of course, I always hear like this negative, you know, oh, he was focused on the storm and he took his eyes off of Jesus. And of course, there's all these little great examples. But I also like to remind people, he was the only one that had the faith to get out of the boat. Who else stepped out? Well, we know about Peter's bold proclamation. It's found in Matthew 26, 33 through 35. And here is, here is his exact words. This is what he says. I will never fall away. Hmm. I wish, I mean, I, I would love to say that, but I know it's not true. I have, I know I will again. And then later on in chapter 26, verses 69 through 75, there was, there was a servant girl, actually there were two servant girls, and then there were some bystanders and they said, hey, aren't you, aren't you that guy that knows Jesus? We recognize you. You're one of his disciples. We, yeah, we've seen you. And he goes, no, I don't know him. That's not me. Of course, Jesus had predicted that he would deny him three times before the cock crows. And sure enough, it all came to pass. I can only imagine how devastated he was. But you know that there was some restoration because 
when he saw Jesus after the resurrection, there was that moment where they had that conversation on the beach and, you know, he was like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And I can just imagine Peter going back and just realizing the restoration and how sweet it was that even though all of these things happen, that Jesus is always there. Number three, he was abandoned by Caiaphas and the council, the courts and the judges. You know how they say Lady Liberty is, is blind, you know, justice is blind, and they have her with the scales, and they have the, her eyes hidden. I don't know if it's just you or not, but do you believe that there's some injustices that are happening in this country? That our courts need God now more than ever? abandoned by the very system that should protect the innocent, that should fight for what is right. And yet, so many times we wake up, and it seems like everything I see in the news, the courts, they're, they're protecting the guilty. It's the criminal who has all the rights. I'm so confused. They had an illegal trial at night, which they knew was wrong. But you know, you always say that, you need two witnesses. In the Jewish culture, you need to have two witnesses to testify for you. Well, you know the unique thing about Christ is that He's part of a trinity. And He had the Holy Spirit and He had God the Father. And did you know that they testify for Him continually all the time? He didn't need anybody but Himself. The false testimonies that were presented there, the things that were said, the beatings that he took, I can only imagine the abandonment that he had felt. Number four, he was abandoned by Pilate, the government and the leaders. Matthew 27, 24. You know, I, I heard uh, Robert uh, Jeffers, he was, um, as we were driving, we were, we were listening to him this morning and he was talking about Pilate and the brutality and of course, we see him in the movies as this wavering guy, uh, you know, and he really didn't know what to do. And of course, there's some evidence to, to say that there was some, some times where he was thinking about that, but he was uh, a huge anti-Semite. He hated the Jews. He, he, he ruled with an iron fist. But you know what? No fault could be found in Jesus. He tried to create an elaborate scheme. He tried to get Jesus off. He said, hey, listen, there's, we can give you, give you Barabbas or, you know, we can let this guy go. And they were thinking, if I pick the worst human being that I know, that perhaps maybe they'll just, you know, they'll say crucify Barabbas instead of Jesus and I'll be done of this. You know, and they have that whole thing where he washed his hands. You know, he tried to say, uh, I have absolutely nothing to do with this. His wife had a dream and he could have listened to it and he said, listen, whatever you do, be careful with this one that they call Jesus. But in the end, the government and, and the people abandoned him. I'll tell you this, even if our own government abandons us and they abandon the principles of Christ, we still will stand. Because the power that is behind us and the power that's in the resurrected Christ is greater than any government will ever be, any leader, any ruler that will ever exist. Because one day, the true king of kings is going to sit on that throne. He's going to rule out of Israel, and everything will be made right. Number five, 
He was abandoned by his own people. Matthew 27, 15 through 23, you know the story. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. I put myself in his shoes. I was thinking, what must he be thinking? All of those people that I'm, I'm sure, you know, he had, he had healed the blind, the lame, the sick, the lepers, cast demons out. He had given his three years of his life, the best three years he ever had, a full ministry to those people. He loved the Jewish people. And now they're chanting, crucify him, crucify him. For what? Totally abandoned. They chose the murderer and the thief Barabbas instead. But in Matthew 27, 25, there's a most interesting verse here. I know that you're familiar with it. And it says this, His blood be on us and our children. You guys know what irony is? There's some irony there in that. His blood be on us and our children. And my thoughts are, don't you wish... You see, because that blood is the very blood that carries the power. The power to wash away all of our sins. I think about the, the Israelites that were in captivity there in Egypt, and I think about the blood that was put on those, the doorposts for the death angel to pass over. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if the blood was on all of us? I know that his sacrifice is sufficient for all. It's just some need to wake up and accept him. Number six, he was abandoned by his closest friends. The verse that we come back to, the disciples fled. They locked themselves in a room and they were scared to death. After you saw a man resurrect Lazarus at the tomb, you know that he has the power over death. After all the miracles that we just mentioned, after he calms the storm with his bare hands, everything that he's done, you're telling me that you think a few soldiers can hold this man? Abandoned by the very ones that he loved. Have, have, have you guys ever felt abandonment like that? You ever, have you ever been in a place in your life where you just felt abandoned by everything and everyone? Or am I the only one? Number seven, this is the, the hardest one of all, but it brings us to our most important point. He was abandoned by his Father, God Almighty. Matthew 27, 46, it says this, He could not look upon the sin because God's wrath was being poured out for us. You read in those scriptures, you know that he's gasping for breath on that cross with the nails in the wrist and the nails in the feet. And he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, Sabalamachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why'd you have to turn your back on me? Did you know that that's something that we never have to experience? Because God is always there. He was there even in the midst of all of those things that I was going through. I cannot imagine in that just brief glimpse, that moment, that separation that had to take place. I don't understand it fully. I don't have to. I know that it had to be so painful for him. 
So here's the question that I have for you today. What have we abandoned Jesus for? I want you to think about this just for a second. You know, why is it that the world is not choosing Jesus? It does not make sense to me. I mean, is it, is it for money? You can't take it with you. Is it for fame? It lasts only for a moment and then it's gone. Is it for popularity? Don't worry. Things become, fall in and out of popularity. Have we abandoned Jesus for family? Have we made family our God? And not really been true to our true family? Or is it just something even so simple as to say that we have abandoned Jesus for social media? How many mornings do we get up and we've got this device in our hands and we know that there's a Bible app and we know that there's tons of things that we could download and we could, we could study the scriptures and we could uh, put gr- good things into our lives that we could use on a daily basis and instead we search the news, we search Twitter, we search Facebook, we search Snapchat and we spend hundreds and hundreds of hours on social media and we won't spend 10 minutes a day in the Word. What have we abandoned Jesus for? Well, I told you we're going to come full circle. Would you, if you have your Bible there, I want you to look at one more verse for me. One more verse. It's in 2 Timothy 2. 11 through 13. It's not up on the screen. It wasn't in my PowerPoint, but I want you, if you would, turn to that, that verse for me. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. So I want to finish my story. I felt abandoned by all of those institutions, everybody in my life. After a year and a half, we get to move back into the home the home that I grew up in, which was a huge, tremendous blessing. But when we moved in, you know, there was supposed to be a thing called no-fault divorce, and they just divide everything right down the middle, and he gets half, and she gets half. Well, let me tell you what happened in our case. We moved back in. There was nothing on the walls. There were no sheets. There was no silverware. There was nothing. It was a completely empty house. That's kind of an eerie feeling. Not one thing in a drawer anywhere as far as the eye could see. My dad, my sister, and I, we got on our knees. We knelt down in that living room, and we prayed. We said, Lord, don't understand. We feel abandoned. All these terrible things have happened. You just got to show up. (laughs) Show us because we know that you are faithful. That church that I was telling you about, Grace Place Baptist Church, they took up a collection for us. It was kind of like a garage sale, but it was just for the Gear family. They gave us trash cans, they gave us silverware, they gave us plates, they gave us cups. They came and they hung things on the wall and they said, this is a house, the Lord has blessed you, we stand by you, we love you, we're going to be with you every step of the way, the way a church should. I, I graduated. The Lord has blessed me financially in ways that I cannot even tell you. All the surgeries that my 
wife has had and all the medical expenses that we have had and every single time he's taken care of it and given me an abundance. I'm so blessed. My family, they, I love them dearly. There's only one thing really and truly that I, I want more than anything and that is this, is that I still feel like there is some restoration to be had. And I want you to pray for that. I want you to pray for my mother and I want you to pray for that side of that family because at some point in time, you know, you, you think that there'd be some remorse, you think that there'd be some sadness, you think that there'd be that time where you could say, I mean, I'm praying for her soul. If she was playing church all those years, we pray for her salvation, that she gets saved and that we can, we can restore that relationship. But I am blessed. I've had such a great family, so many people that love me. And now I come here. I'm at a great church that loves the Lord, a praying church that's prayed for my wife and I and all the difficult things that we've come through. And God has every time, every time where I think that he has abandoned me, I know the fact that God doesn't abandon us. He's always there. It's us that creates the divide between he and I. 2 Timothy 2. 11 through 13. It says this The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. Isn't that good news? Though we die, yet we live. If we endure, we will also reign with him. I feel totally unworthy to reign with Christ, to have any authority whatsoever, but isn't it amazing that he gives that to us? If we deny him, he will also deny us. I feel very, very strongly about the time of invitation. I don't understand why churches would ever get rid of it because it's the most important thing that we do to give a person a chance to come down and make some decisions, to pray, to prostrate themselves before God, to fall on their knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry, but show up in my life. I think it's very important for a young Christian to be able to get up and say, I, I put my faith and trust in him, to be able to come up in the baptism waters and, and give their testimony because of this very first right here. If we deny him, he will also deny us. The Awana program for our children, if you know what it stands for, it stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But this is one of my favorite verses. I know you guys asked me in my question and answer time, one of my favorite verses. I've got like a thousand of them, but that would have been a cheesy answer. But this is one of my favorite verses of all time. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If you have felt abandoned by everyone and everything in your entire life, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is waiting for you. He loves you. He's reaching out to you. We're going to pray. Our singers are going to come. Going to lead us in a time of, of invitation. And I'll tell you this. If there's something that's in your life today that you need to make right, if you've abandoned Jesus for something, or you just need to come to this altar as a family, if there's something you need to make right with a church member, I don't know, whatever it is, the Spirit's going to tell you what you need to do. All I'm going to say is be obedient and do it.
And just know this, that even if we are faithless, He will remain faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to You today. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, all those things that happened in my life, all those things that took place, I felt like I was abandoned, but Lord, I know better. You were all the time behind the scenes, watching, waiting, protecting, guiding, loving, just like you are now. Lord, I feel that there might be some people out here that heard this message. They might be hurting. They might have felt abandoned. Lord, I just pray that you would reach out them to them today, that you would just wrap your arms around them, that you would love them, that you would show them that you are always there, that you are always faithful. Lord, I thank you for my church. I thank you for each and every person that's here and what they mean to me and what they've meant to my family. And I pray, Father, that Red Baptist Church for now and forevermore would be that church that would be that loving church and that we would never, ever abandon one of our own. And I ask these things in your name. Amen.